don't know about you out there, but here at the Big Freedom Show, we're getting a little bit closer. I'm about six inches away from Nate's face right now. Uh, that's because we're Wait, sharing. Where's it going from here? Things are uh, <laughs> things are getting a little closer here at the Big. Anyway, welcome back to another fantastic episode of the Big Freedom Show. I'm one of your hosts here, Charlie Thompson. With me, as always, the King himself, John King, and your favorite lispy libertarian, Nate Thurston. Now, do we know for sure that I am their favorite lispy libertarian? Because they could know a you're, lot of different ones. You're the ones. only one that I know. Okay. As When it comes to lispy libertarians, you're definitely the favorite. So by default... I win that one. I mean, that's good. You know, uniqueness, some points for that. Well, we talked about owning your faults, and you're the only one I know of that's really owned it. Which, by the way, speaking of faults, we did try to do another episode for you last week. Didn't go so well. No, it failed, so we spared you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's because I was gone. You guys didn't have the, the, the condescension... And the a wholeness of what I bring to the table on a daily basis. I was overly you know? confident we could do it, but it, for yeah. your sake, you've been spared. So, <laughs> I was gone playing music. I was gone for five days. Played five shows in a row. Five days, real busy, and uh, just burning the candle at both ends for for a week there. And I got back at about five five thirty a.m. this morning, and I'm uh, real nice and tired right now. But kind of sounds a little it. like Ben Stein. Thanks. It's a little, little, little monotone. Okay. Clear eyes. And I'll just to make, see what I can do about that. Just to make things better, uh, there could possibly be a tornado while we're recording this show. So we wouldn't know we're in our. We are literally in a bunker. Yeah. Other, other hosts may say deep in their bunker, this is a bunker. I, D- double two by six walls, six inch spacing in between. You're not invading us here. I mean, honestly, just in mineral wool itself, they're really the wind stands no chance against this building. I, I was joking. All. I said this could be the thing where we don't realize it. We think everything's normal in here, and we walk outside, and the outer shell is stripped away, <laughs> yeah. and we're standing in the yard. It doesn't bode well for my family, but we're we're here. Hey, so tune in next week to for the update of whether we got hit by a tornado if or not. There's an update. We won't we'll know. Yeah, and you, uh, it's supposed to snow tomorrow, so that's Nashville weather for you. Yeah, welcome to Nashville. It's got to be some of that global warming, right? Well, speaking <laughs> of warming, we got some warming happening in the studio right now mm. with this week's Whiskey, Whiskey of the, the week. week. And this week, we we sampled previously Russell's Reserve 10-year. It was a favorite here on the show. But this week, we've got Russell's Reserve Single Barrel Non-Chill Filtered Bourbon Whiskey. Once again, it's coming in hot. Yeah. This, this is a burn. It's a good burn. 55% alcohol on this one. Tastes I, like it. <laughs> I'm a fan. I like it. Um, it's probably that no, that non-chill filtered factor that it's got. That's the difference, right? Uh, I, you know, I've liked every single non-chill filtered we've tried. So yeah. We don't get to do this very often. They're kind of expensive. This was a birthday bottle from my brother, brought to you by Roll the Lex Painting in Lexington, Kentucky. Your brother's been hooking you up. I know. The Stag Jr., the Russell's Reserve. We'll take it. Nieces and nephews. Plenty of those. Of Plenty stuff. of nieces yeah. and nephews. <laughs> so what's the score on this one? I, I, I'm so a fan. I got I to gotta say it clocks in at 55 bucks. Or no, 52 bucks. So keep that in mind. I'm still a fan. Big fan. I am too, but 52 bucks. It's probably going to sit around a 7 out of 10 for me. I'm going to go with an 8. Um, I would go eight also. 50 bucks, got to be an eight. Yeah. 
Yep. And one of these days, we will be starting our value series. That's coming soon. So that's been this week's Whiskey of the Week. Man, you know, we were in need of a trolling update. You haven't been doing too much lately. I haven't. Twitter has gotten very frustrating, much like Facebook. Twitter is is also one of the worst places you can go on the internet. And so I go there to try and start fights with people just so I can see what makes them mad. And uh, I can't get a lot of them to fight back most of the time. I I tried to carry the banner for you. So I've been on the uh, ill-fated neighborhood social network next door, Hmm. kicking up some dirt and making some trouble. Um, Which I never heard of. No, it's never heard it's of it. pretty good, and people stay a little more civil because you have to use your real name, and they have to verify your address to let you on it. And it's people in your neighborhood, right? They could sneak up and do the old, uh, you know, dog presence on the doorstep with the flaming bag. Anyway, yeah, uh, maybe that's Kentucky. I don't that know. That might happen to you pretty soon. But anyway, I got on there. We're we have a big transit proposal coming up that uh, the Big Freedom Show is not such a big fan of. And so I, I've been pushing some buttons, trying to channel my inner Nate, and we're going to do kind of a, our first big interview, right? We are. That's right. And that's coming up on the 16th of April. So we're gonna, you're going to get the big freedom perspective on the big waste of money that is the big transit plan here in Nashville. So anyway. We're not real big fans of it. I mean, it's what? Like ten billion dollars, something about like 10 that. Ten billion dollars, and it covers Plus extra security guard fees, thir- probably a, about a third of the city. And 70% of it goes to a light rail that only the city core covers. So okay. I'm not a big fan. You'll this, hear all about it. This is one of those good cases of uh, you can get like a guy like Elon Musk who's inventing this brand new, brilliant, amazing way to travel people around. And Nashville wants to spend $10 billion putting a 200-year-old tra- transit way around the and, city. And just, to like, give that's you a, a big, just to give you big a tease, idea. I heard an interview the other day where one of the people pushing an alternate plan said that we could basically give everyone free unlimited lift rides for their entire duration in the city for half the cost of this plan. Yeah. And this this is this <laughs> is a do that. This is a perfect case of something's wrong, right? There's there's a traffic problem in Nashville. Something has to be done. Let's turn to government. They've got all the answers. They've got the right answers to try to fix this. It's not it's just another one of those emotional responses that you know, just gonna, it's going to be a waste of money. And, and this one's Nashville, but this this is literally a case study on any city on what happens when big government comes in and, you know, we start seeing some more redistribution. So we think it's going to be really interesting. We're looking forward to that. Just wanted to do a quick coming soon. Yeah, well, this is just another great example of, you know, when the government decides they want to fix a problem, right, Charlie? They get together and they say, hey, here's a problem. And we're going to solve it and make it better for everyone. And that's kind of the case in everything the government gets involved in. Everything's easy spending other people's money. They always fix the problem with your money. And then the the best part, well, first, actually, I want to get to, there's a talk show here we've mentioned. It's uh, Super Talk 99.7. You got, you know, Rush Limbaugh and Mark Levin and... uh, Hannity is on there. Del Giorno's right. on yeah. there. Oh, Hannity's on there now. You know. I'm pretty sure. Whew. It's a bunch used of to be. bunch of Republicans. I don't I don't hate I guess I don't hate Michael Del Giorno. It's not not horrible. Uh He's don't, a big Trump guy. Don't agree with everything, obviously. Um but you heard some pretty uh funny ads on there. Yeah. I was on the way here. First off, I was well, listening. Well, this is a conservative talk show. Yeah, very conservative radio show. 
Um, everyone on there, obviously, a big, big conservative. And so I was listening to the traffic, and the traffic was brought to you by the Scientology Network, which was very interesting. They must really be hard up for money. And then I heard an ad for the transit plan on the way here, which is a conservative talk show, and they're allowing an advertisement to go vote yes on Nashville's transit plan. Blood-sucking capitalists. Yeah. I admire them for that. Yeah, sure. (laughs) So so they are advocating, or they're okay with advertising a, uh, hey, let's spend $10 billion, which is going to be 20 or $50 billion at least. Yeah, like, I'm sorry, I'm not going to take, I'm probably not going to take advertising money from... Bernie Sanders on our on our program. I don't. I feel like that would make us very very uh, hypocritical if we did. I'll that. I'll take it if I can run an ad with his money against him. Okay. I don't think his money would approve that of that message. It's my stipulation. Honestly. It's my stipulation. <laughs> <Okay>. Well, <laughs> we'll see if they accept. So, so this is what ha- this is what always happens, right? There's a problem. People have an emotional response. You saw it with gun control and all kinds of things. You're like, oh, we got to do something. Governments, oh, the all-powerful, don't you fear. We are here for you. We're going to help you, the people, you lowly people who don't know what to do. We can help you. We will come up with a plan. And the crazy thing is, is when government fails, they always blame freedom. Austin Peterson the other day, who's a candidate for Senate, in uh, Missouri. So if you live in Missouri, those of you in Missouri that uh, Jason Stapleton makes fun of, go out and vote for Austin Peterson for Senate. This is a liberty-minded candidate, great guy. But he asked the question the other day on Facebook. He said, why is it every time government fails, we blame freedom? Why is that? Why is that every single time The government tries to solve a problem, it fails, and then somehow it's freedom's fault. And I've got the most perfect example today. I'm going to play you a clip here from Donald Trump. He was given a speech on the border wall and the opiate crisis in America. So, John, roll this clip for me. Whether you are a dealer or doctor or trafficker or a manufacturer, if you break the law and illegally peddle these deadly poisons... We will find you, we will arrest you, and we will hold you accountable. But if we don't get tough on the drug dealers, we're wasting our time. Just remember that. We're wasting our time. And that toughness includes the death penalty. You hear that? All the cheers? There was a standing ovation after he said that. Kill them. Kill them all. Kill (laughs) them. Hey, if you're addicted, just we're... Kill them. They've Give, got the pots. Mm-hmm. Send them to the ringer. Line them up. So Dead. this is speaking, um, I think, specifically the people who deal um, opioids, right? Anyone who's going to, your your local Vicodin dealer is could face the death penalty. Well, okay. So this was a couple days ago. Okay. I want to say that. And there was some backlash. So I have an article here from the Politico. That talks about the White House kind of backing down a little bit. They don't back back down from the death penalty, but they back down on who they can apply it to. I feel like this is Passover in the food service industry. One Doesn't server it, from every restaurant will die. I hope this. Are, I haven't <laughs> seen the article, but I really hope it mentions the fact that you can't get the death penalty if you didn't specifically kill someone. Doesn't it seem like that should be an important part? It says what it says. The White House came out in a statement, and they said that they were going to utilize the death penalty where it, where it applies in law. So 
currently, yes, you're correct. They could really only do it for drug dealers that murdered people. Okay. So you got to murder somebody, which is already part of the law. But dealing the drugs is not going to be considered murder, right? I mean, that's kind of what it sounded like whenever he said that. And they haven't specified that. So that's some speculation there. We don't know. I guess if you're a doctor, like there was a case not that long ago, two doctors, I believe, are being indicted on charges for purposefully giving fentanyl to patients. Okay, so does this leave it open? You know, what I just want to know is, like, could you prosecute a car dealership for selling a vehicle Let, that, that killed the, someone Let's go to the really driving, easy one, you know? ammunition manufacturers. Yeah. I mean, I know Trump loves the MR. <laughs> I was trying NR- to pick something lo- that wasn't emotional that, like, people would say, I, yeah, I'm gun going manufacturers. There. You he know? loves the NRA. I don't know. But, yeah, so should a gun dealer be charged with murder if the person who bought the gun kills themselves? That's what I want to know. Well, according to Hillary Clinton, yes. Okay. You should. You should go after those people. Hmm. Those evil, evil gun makers. This is not a slippery slope. This is a slippery cliff. This is a cliff that we jumped off of, for sure. You guys notice that it seems like everything that the government gets involved in that they want to take care of, it involves taking away personal responsibility from someone at some point in time. You know, this is, and we'll get more into the drug thing, But the dealer, the guy who's selling drugs, is not the person who's making the decision to do the drugs. The dealer is the person that's supplying it the way that a gun dealer supplies a gun to someone and they can use that for a good purpose or a bad uh, purpose. Or a car dealer. A car dealer, you can drive your car and be very safe on the road, or you could get drunk and kill someone one night. The dealer is just the person who's selling something. And the person that is actually committing a possible crime, they're the one that is that is actually making the decision. But everything the government does takes away your personal responsibility. And I always get scared when we continuously go down this road of teaching everyone that you don't need personal responsibility. The government's going to take care They're of They're going to save that. you from yourself. You don't the, need the, to make decisions. You don't need to ever learn to make decisions. The government's going to make those decisions for you. Before we get too deep into this conversation, which that's where we're going, we're going deep mm-hmm. with this thing. I do want to clarify for all you libertarians out there that are like, oh, just you know, talking about the drug war again, talking about drugs. I, I, I saw a tweet the other day that said 80% of libertarians are just Republicans who get high. <laughs> <laughs> Probably which, somewhat accurate. <laughs> which is, yeah, kind of. But look, <laughs> look, that's beside the point. The point is there is a very real, real conversation that we need to have about drugs, especially in this day and age. Not only whether they should be legal or or illegal, What's the role of self-responsibility? What Do you own yourself or not? And then what's the role of government? Why does government continue to step into these things? So this is not your everyday libertarians just advocate for drugs. This is real principled-based conversations that's happening right now in real life in 2018. Which we should say, as a disclaimer, which we've covered this over and over again, there's only one reason why government should even care about this. And that's because people aren't responsible for covering the cost of their own health care. And that's the only reason that the government should have a dog in the race. 
Just want to go ahead and throw that out there, frame our conversation. They're always going to use the fact that they provide health care for different reasons to get involved in your life all Absolutely. the time. It will forever be the, be the case. And if we ever get single-payer, payer, it'll be even worse. Imagine yeah. what they'll be able to tell you you can and can't do whenever they control whether you're cared for or not. You smoked a cigarette, no lung for you. There you go. <laughs> so this, uh, <laughs> I just want to start back kind of at the beginning of the drug war. And uh, in 1971, President Nixon, uh, he said that our number one enemy was drugs. He also said, I'm not a crook. (laughs) (laughs) Two very important statements. (laughs) Yeah. But literally. Very false. (laughs) In 1971, our worst enemy, our number one enemy was drugs. Okay. Well, what I would want to say about that is uh, in 1971, just like right now, our worst enemy is uh, the people losing sight of the fact that you should be responsible for your own life at all time, at all times. I mean, it's a very important question that we want to ask, and I think it's a principle that Republicans, liberals, libertarians can, can all get behind is, do you own your body? Uh, the time that you're born, when you are born and you are a a person here on earth, do you ever actually own your own body? Or are you born into a system where a group of random people that were elected can decide what you can and can't do with your body? Isn't that kind of weird? I think it's really weird and doesn't really make much of any sense at all. If there's one thing you should have a right to, it's self. Yeah, if you didn't hurt anyone else. But, I I mean, 1971, can you think of any other, I don't know, big enemies that we had, big problems that were going on? I don't don't think there's any—I think this (coughs) was—this, again, like we talked about before, is just an emotional response to the 60s and the 70s. I mean, how crazy it was back then, right? All these evil rock bands popping up Mm -hmm. with all these drugs. Too much free love. You know, I guess people were using more back then. There's not really many statistics between the 40s, the 50s, and then the 60s. But it's just what's crazy to me is since 1971, since we declared war on drugs, which has been almost 50 years now that we've been fighting this war on drugs, uh, the United States government has spent nearly $1 trillion towards eradicating the drug problem in this country. Which, eradicating the drug problem since 1971, (laughs) the drug problem is actually 10 times worse today than it was 50 years ago. So we spent a trillion dollars making it worse? It's like a lot of other things the government does. I mean, they had the war on poverty also, that they've spent trillions upon trillions, I mean, multiples of trillions of dollars on the war on poverty. And our poverty level is the exact same. We might have shaved off 1%. But what you have to ask yourself is that trillion dollars, did it actually save any lives? And we we know that the drug problem is worse. Now we had, I think it said something about 64,000 people died last year from, from uh, drug overdoses, uh, uh, specifically narcotic drug overdoses. And um, I wonder... Did we actually save any lives with that trillion dollars? And is it a good idea to remove? Because remember, the United States government didn't spend a trillion dollars on this. They confiscated a trillion dollars from what otherwise would have just been the market, uh, that money that people would have used to 
start new businesses, to hire more workers, to make investments, to make their products better, to make products cheaper, that eventually uh, would have helped tons of people possibly get out of poverty just because there, there could have been thousands upon thousands of more jobs created with that, with that money at some point in time. But instead, it went towards the drug epidemic. And what I want to know is, did that save lives or did it probably cost a lot of lives? And what caused them to overdose? Was it because they couldn't get access to some sort of recreational substance they wanted? Is that, could that have had something to do with it? So they went for the super hard stuff? Either that, I mean, there's several different reasons, either they, that or they were prescribed some pain medication, got addicted to it, and mm. then the stuff on the street's cheaper. I mean, that's the market. And, and you know, what's crazy to me is, and we're going to go through several of these reasons, but not only, Nate, did it not help or has it not eradicated the problem, I would argue it's made it worse. It's made it very lucrative, it's, for sure. It, with estimates of 100 to 110 billion for heroin, 110 billion to 130 billion for cocaine, 75 billion for cannabis, and 60 billion for synthetic drugs, the probable global figure for the total illicit illicit drug industry would be approximately 360 billion dollars. So you're talking the black market that the government created. Now this is global numbers, but still. $360 billion market. You don't think people are going to play in that to try to make some money? Absolutely. I mean, when you have that kind of a market popping up, you're going to have all kinds of dealers coming into play all the time. And uh, I'll go ahead and say it right now. Um, the best thing that we could do to eradicate the drug problem is to legalize drugs and let people make their own decisions because Here's the bottom line, emotional argument or not, it is your job to take care of your life. It is not some regular, some uh, some person who got elected by doing whatever kind of shady stuff that we don't know about that got elected. And, uh, and so now they're going to be there and they're there to make sure you make good decisions in your life. I just don't think that that makes any sense. I don't think the founders of our country would have been okay with that. That's another thing. If you're a Republican listening, do you really think, I mean, why didn't they mention drugs whenever they wrote the Constitution? Why didn't they, you don't think marijuana existed at that point in time? Why didn't they think to put that it was the government's job to take care of you to make sure that you didn't make bad decisions all the time in the Constitution? So if you're a Republican Ask yourself that question if Thomas Jefferson was sitting right in front of you right now and you said, we have to make sure that people aren't allowed to do this. What do you think he would say back to you at that point in time? Yeah, you're right. The government should have that control. Absolutely. And we're not arguing that doing drugs is a smart decision most of the time, but it's your decision to make. And I think, you know. We could expand this a little bit more. Employers should be free to screen for things if they want. If you want to get paid a slightly higher wage, maybe they can say you, you know, you can't be using certain drugs and that kind of thing. Much the same way that you can't go into work hammered drunk. Mm -hmm. Not a good move, too much whiskey of the week. It's not good for your career. But you still have the right to make that terrible decision for yourself. Absolutely. You know, the reason I played that Donald Trump quote for you, that little clip there, was because basically what he's advocating for, him and Jeff Sessions both, which Sessions uh, Sessions mentioned in a speech the other day uh, to the police chiefs 
that uh, there's some empty uh, beds in the jails and we need to fill them, basically. And so this administration and Trump, I get it. He's speaking to his base. He's trying to fire them up. It's an emotional tactic, as we've talked about. But if we don't know anything from the 50 years of history that we have on this drug war so far, that it's not working, the what I'm trying to say is the stiffer penalties – the death penalty, mandatory minimums, increasing all of those types of things will not curb this problem. We know that not only from the, like I said, the 50 years of history that we have on the current drug war, but we also know that from another example in history of prohibition where it didn't work with alcohol. And in fact, there's even another one with prostitution. I know I'm throwing out all the libertarian things here, but it's absolutely true. And I've got some staggering numbers for you. But prohibition just doesn't work. And if we if we don't learn from history, as we many people have said, and we've said many times on this show, you're bound to repeat the same mistakes. So let's walk through some of what happened during the 10 years of alcohol prohibition that actually was a constitutional amendment that they had to was, reverse. It was not pretty. It <laughs> was not at all. So the so, so some of the economic impacts of alcohol prohibition. Uh, the expectation was that retail sales and theater sales and all kinds of other sales would increase because people would stop spending money on alcohol. And in fact, that was actually false. It, those industries actually declined. And people spent more money on alcohol. People spent more <laughs> money on alcohol. And although we don't agree with taxes here, what's, I find it funny, the federal government lost $11 billion in tax revenue that they were collecting from alcohol that they no longer got to collect because people, what happened? Oh, a black market opened. The, the other hilarious thing about that was that it really just turned into a big political play. Who could get the votes from, you know, it was really the Southern Baptist women at that point. Who could get those votes and how far would you go? And then we landed on prohibition which was terrible. Some other uh, crazy things that happened in here, loopholes. Uh, pharmacists were allowed to dispense alcohol. So uh, in New York alone, the uh, pharmacist applications tripled immediately. <laughs> so it was like glaucoma in California. Yes. Just, just like what happened. <laughs> just keep with... getting headaches. <laughs> I have really chronic headaches, I promise. Um, wine could be a tamed could be a, obtained for religious reasons. So enrollments at churches rose, and many people were were proclaiming to be rabbis to get wine for their congregation. That's a smart idea. Can you still do that? That's, that's, that's a great actually, idea. Can we do, is there like a whiskey of the, the rabbi church, week? The Some Church kind of, of Bourbon? Yeah. That'd be First a good Church one. of Bourbon. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <clears throat> On average, 1,000 Americans died a year during the Prohibition decade due to the black market. So where before there weren't very many people dying from alcohol, now that the black market opened and you had people making alcohol from uh, wood and they, they were making like ethanol alcohol that can kill you, um, like gasoline basically that people were drinking and, and – Another interesting thing was it drove people to, at the time, what they called patent medicines, which were all basically different drinks chocked full of opioids. <laughs> so one thing to say uh, on kind of what Charlie was saying is that uh, people were dying every year from basically improperly manufactured alcohol, which you get in the black market. I would also argue that this also happens in today's drug 
black market because you have a lot of people, um, you know, lacing drugs with different things, cutting them with different things to make yeah, them cheaper. They don't know what they're getting. They, you really don't know what you're getting. There's no oversight by the people really whatsoever because it's so illegal. I would actually make the argument that if we legalized drugs, that eventually, now, first off, when you, when you legalize drugs, all the drug dealers are done at that point in time because you're going to have some big corporations step in, or they'll become big corporations that are going to make a version of cocaine. They're going to make a very popular, you know, the Coca-Cola of marijuana will eventually pop up in America and will be the biggest brand that there is. Coca-Rola. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> Good job. You know? Um, so my argument is that actually legalizing drugs will make drugs safer because when you have a free market involved and when you have a corporation involved with manufacturing it, they don't want people dying from their product the same way that... Um, there was a problem with Tylenol at one point in time. Um, they had a bad, bad batch of Tylenol come out. A bunch of people died. Tylenol removed all of their product from the shelves because they were getting such bad PR at that time. They had to restructure their whole business. They had to restructure the way they made it. And then they re-released Tylenol at that time. The same thing would happen with the corporate version of cocaine or heroin or whatever it is. It will eventually get manufactured in a way that it wouldn't be able to kill you unless you took it in just insane doses. But they don't want people dying. They don't want news stories attached to their name. And I actually argue that it will be a lot safer, that we'll have these drugs, if you want to do them, that no one's even thinking about right now, that will eradicate the super dangerous drugs that are here, and that there will be a whole new version of safer drugs that don't kill people that will pop up. And, and once you get the government out of the way, society is going to step in and set some standards and, and workplaces are going to set some standards just the same way they are with alcohol. I mentioned this earlier. You know, people can responsibly enjoy alcohol. Some people choose not to, but people aren't going into work drunk. They're for the most part not driving drunk. Society is going to dictate this. It's just going to be, hey, it's not cool to be stoned out of your mind and laying on the city streets. I don't think that's what we're going to run into. I loved even Ron Paul said in the presidential debates, he was like, Ron Paul. they asked him, you know, they asked him, they were like, hey, you know, if we legalize heroin or he, they were asking about legalizing heroin. He's like, yeah, he's like, and everybody was laughing. But then he was like, if heroin was legal tomorrow, how many, how many of you would do it? Asking the audience. And it's the, the truth is not, not very many people would. Sure. You probably have some people that'd be like, oh, it's legal now. Let's, what is this like? But the majority of people won't do it because drugs are bad, right? We talked about that. Um, I want to point out some other similarities here between the alcohol prohibition and the drug war uh, and the drug prohibition here that we've got going on. The corruption in law enforcement, I found, was hilarious. Uh, they were taking bribes. And in fact, a lot of the law enforcement people were running their own illegal operation, they were running their own distilleries and bootlegging whiskey and things like that. Why? It was so profitable. I think the same thing happens now. You see agents in, D, in the DEA who go and purchase drugs and who, you know, try to make criminals out of people by making these deals and people who don't even do drugs or haven't even technically sold it because they were they interacted with a DEA agent. 
you know, so there's some bribery and corruption there. The other thing I find that I found so hilarious when I looked back at alcohol prohibition was the courts were so backed up that it took a year for defendants to get a trial. And in fact, most cases were dismissed before they even got there. Now, the worst thing about, I think, the correlation between the alcohol prohibition and the drug war was the mobs, the gangs, and everything that it created. If you remember in the 20s and the 30s, the mafia... Uh, hold on. The, None of us remember the 20s or the 30s. Well, I saw movies about it. Yeah. I don't vividly yeah. remember. Ken Burns. He'll put <laughs> you to it, sleep. I've read it in a book. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. But you can see what's happening today with the Mexican drug cartel, a gang, a mob, if you will. The, the reason why... Now, Trump told me that that's who I need to be most afraid of right now all the mexicans um that are coming across the border right and not now. jeff sessions with his mandatory yeah. minimums hope no. you're not in the wrong spot no it's the we need the border wall because i'm actually i'm literally afraid right now that i i think a hispanic might try to kill me later it's those uh what are they red red 13 gang members ms 13 MS 13. 13 yeah they're everywhere they're coming after you yeah i yeah. saw them the other day hide your kids hide your wife <laughs> yep <laughs> You saw him the other day. I saw him, yeah. They were outside my place looking for drugs. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, oh, you sound so serious. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, they, they were, were out, no, they were out there. Did yeah. you build a wall around your house? I well, they wouldn't pay for it, so <laughs> you have minor minor improvements, minor yeah. security. Yeah. So uh, look, if you see any MS thirteens, just start building a wall and ask them if they'll pay for it. They might do it. Yeah, they'll do it. They'll do it because, uh, no, I got a back fence that was put up, but I think I had Hispanic well, neighbors then, before then I got there. Then they can take but... control of the wall and start selling passage through the wall, so they probably will pay for it. Exactly. The black wall market is going to be huge. <laughs> <laughs> is, there, wow. is there some kind of business wow. we can invest in right now? No. <laughs> that was amazing. Okay. Uh, get your financial advice from your Let's Be Libertarian over yeah. here. <laughs> Man. I don't, think, I don't know if you noticed this or not. But uh, the drug industry is estimated to be $360 billion. So even if you do build that wall, guess what? They're finding a way around it. They're going to go over or under or around or they'll fly a plane or they'll, uh, they'll, or they'll take just a, make it in our country. They'll take, a hang, they'll take a hang glider and glide over it. <laughs> they'll find a way. Honey, take a picture. I'm dead. <laughs> what an idiot. <laughs> no, I mean, or worse than that, the people in our country become worse than everything that we're afraid of from the other countries. And then you don't have to worry about the wall at all because we've taught all of our people that the government's just here to protect you and take care of you all the time. And you don't ever need to have personal responsibility. So, um, you know, we'll just develop all those all those different systems here and not have to worry about Mexico. Are we talking about the Mexican wall right now or or uh, opiates. Well, they're, we're talking about both because Trump was out there talking about his border wall. That's his main reason for the wall. That's was his, yeah, that's right. to gotcha. keep to keep the drug cartel out, all this violence. But the the problem is, is that I want everyone to look at this from take the emotions out of it. And let's think about this logically. Let's have a conversation. I get the hype for Trump and the wall and 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 immigration and violence and. Yeah, put them put them in prison or or give them the death penalty. I understand that emotional response, especially if your life has been affected by by a gang member. In all seriousness, so but if you if you have a conversation and you think about this logically, 
the only way to curb this violence, to curb the violence, is to look at what we've done in history. And when you, when you have prohibition, these types of things thrive. The black market thrives. Violence thrives because it's a massive industry. It's very lucrative for these criminals to keep doing this. When you take the prohibition away, when you allow the free market to work, the violence, the crime, all of the, the use, all of that goes down. You see it in, in alcohol now today anyway. You look at European countries and the ones that have a, a drinking age of 16 or 18, they don't have the same problems that America does with the binge drinking of underage kids that, that drink when they're 18 or 19 or 20 before they're 21. They don't have that same type of problem because the culture actually introduces alcohol at a younger age. I'm not saying introduce hard drugs at a young age, <laughs> but what I'm saying is, is that it's legal over there for a kid, for, for a younger adult to have a few drinks and then they don't go on bingers. And this isn't even a conversation about hard drugs. It's a conversation about anything. If you keep people from having it, it creates this problem. It creates an economy for those that benefit from working with the government or working against the government. And what I would say is, you know, this problem, the conversation originally started with the uh, the opioid epidemic, which everyone is talking about being such a big issue right now. What I would venture to say is that the opioid epidemic has been created by the prohibition of other forms of drugs. And I will I will say especially marijuana. I do I do believe that people There's would a special have special place for marijuana. That there, the people who are abusing Vicodin or OxyContin or whatever it is that they're abusing these days, that if it if you could just buy marijuana easily, that they would just do that instead of taking Vicodin or OxyContin. And you know, just ask yourself this question: How many times have you heard the story? Yeah, my brother, he just smoked so much weed one night that he died. You've probably never heard that before, have you? Have unless, you ever? Unless it involves a fishing boat, no, and I mean, a, a slingshot. Absolutely not. Have you ever heard that? But how many people do you know who will say, "Yeah, my, you know, he he overdosed on, on, you know, I don't mean to talk about it lightly. It's it's a very serious thing. But We're how the many first time, time. <clears throat> How many Wait. times have you heard? Oh yeah, he took he took, you know, he overdosed on oxycontin, and and that happened. I mean, that happens all the time. But you. You know, tons of people smoke weed all the time, and you don't hear these stories about people who overdose on it. You talk, you hear stories about people who ate too many Doritos that night. Like that's the worst story you heard. Yeah, my friend got on weed and he gained like ten pounds, man. And like that's like the worst thing that you hear is about your friend having you know crazy eating habits because they smoked weed. So what I'm saying is our opioid epidemic that we have right now could be caused by the prohibition of some of these other I, forms of drugs. Which I'm, I'm going to catch some heat for this. I, pot smokers drive me crazy. They drive me nuts. I work in music. I've had to deal with it. They come in. <clears throat> I'm, I'm better when I'm high. They don't tell me they're high. But I think you're exactly right. They, they want one thing and they're forced to go to another. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'll, I'll let them be annoying and terrible at playing bass as much as they want. <laughs> Um, you know, let's keep you around. I guess that is one problem, Nate. You can't really stay on beat very well. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure you <laughs> wouldn't be able to. I, I can imagine. But, you know, stands reason. <laughs> it just seems like uh, maybe we should consider, 
ending this prohibition on other drugs. I'm not suggesting that people do drugs. I don't think it's smart to do drugs. Pretty poor choice. Not a great life decision. You know, spend all your time learning. Spend all your time making yourself better all the time. Don't just get high and watch Netflix and, and, and eat stuff. But what I am saying is that people should be allowed to make that decision for themselves. That's the that's another part of America. If you're a freedom-loving, eagle-tattoo-having American... That's this room. That's this room right here. Then you love talking about freedom and the Constitution and the Founding Fathers and all these different kinds of things. These people knew that people are supposed to be free. And why Why do we just decide that they can't sometimes? I think, you know, we're, we're running a little long here. I think we've got to save the conversation on mandatory minimums. And, you know, some of the prison situations we have going on for another day. Well, we've definitely got a a really big issue with the prison system. I mean, we've got, it's almost half of people, uh, I was looking at statistics earlier, and it's uh, something in the 40% range, I believe, of people who were incarcerated had to do with a drug crime. Because you were were 21, you wanted the brownies, and now you're scarred for life. how, How disgusting is it that you did something that didn't hurt anyone but yourself, or you sold something to someone who made their own decision to hurt themselves and you the 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 basic thing that the government decided they wanted to do was to put you in a cage for 20 years like that's that's how you fix the problem is to make sure that you'll never be able to get a job you'll have a hard time even being able to get a lease for an apartment you'll have all kinds of issues trying to get a loan for a car you'll have all kinds of issues after you get out of prison all because you did something that hurt yourself and no one else with a victimless crime besides yourself. And we have, I mean, countless billions of amounts, billions of dollars going out towards the prison system for people who literally hurt no one but themselves. So take the emotion out of it, guys. Let us know what you think about this conversation. Hit Nate up on Twitter for some trolling with Nate at Big Freedom Show. Follow us on Facebook. Guys, on iTunes, the best thing that you can do for us is leave us a rating and review and subscribe. We can't thank you enough for listening. That's all the time we've got. Tune in next week for some more Liberty. Take care.